Reaver Group's podcast series, Talk Retail to Me, where we offer insights and realistic advice from experts in the retail and consumer brands industries. If you're new to Parker Avery and this podcast, we are a leading retail and consumer goods consulting firm with over 600 years of collective experience, both as consultants as well as leadership positions in the industry. Our firm uniquely combines deep industry experience with consulting expertise and world-class talent to deliver meaningful results. Our approach allows us to build successful, long-term relationships with some of the most recognizable retail and consumer brands in the world. If you're interested in learning more about the Park Ravery Group, we invite you to visit parkravery.com. Hi there, this is Trisha Gustin, Senior Director of Marketing for Parker Avery. Like many companies, when the pandemic shut the world down last spring, Parker Avery quickly moved to entirely virtual, and that meant, of course, Zoom meetings and webinars for many people. Parker Avery launched our own webinar series called Reconstructing Retail. And the goal of that series was to provide retailers with advice they could immediately employ during the early and mid stages of the pandemic. We focused on four key themes. Managing inventory amidst a highly disrupted supply chain, organizational resilience, forecasting what was thought to be unpredictable demand, and finally, how to resume operations once the world came out of lockdown. Recently, we've been discussing getting the bands back together on each of these themes to see how our perspectives may have changed over the past year. Today, I am joined by our president and managing partner, Clay Parnell, along with partner Amanda Ostrologo and senior director Rob Oglesby. We're going to focus on the first theme of our webinar series, and that was triaging inventory. Wanted to start with some of the tenets that we discussed last year during the webinars and then what's really transpired and how did retailers end up managing their inventory, who did really well, who did maybe not so well, and some some key findings from that. You know, when we talked about, you know, the three tenants that we have, and I think the things that we've really seen come to play over the last year is the renowned focus on foundation, data accuracy, and, you know, the, how people have realized that some of the, the pieces where they were lacking on some of the omni-channel and standing up curbside and some of the in-store pieces, how important some of that was. So I think you know, the renewed focus on core solutions and just overall data visibility and accuracy has really been something that we've seen kind of come to fruition after we spoke last year. Yeah, I, I think, look, pretty much every retailer we looked at did everything they could to pivot with either improved capabilities or new capabilities with a focus on omni-channel, right? Just like Amanda mentioned, curbside pickup and others. I think you could you could see a clear difference between those retailers that were already further along in their omni journey versus those that were either still heavily brick and mortar or maybe they had different channels but they simply weren't integrating you know from a demand and supply standpoint so they had a lot of gaps and 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 you could it was it was pretty visible as far as what they could do and and how how long it took them to get some things rolled out yeah i think from my perspective um definitely definitely omni and and making that more robust was was clearly something that uh, everyone saw is oh my god I got to do this sooner rather than later uh, and jump on that yeah I think for the most part they, they've done a good job with regards to really kind of getting there I mean some of them had some, some some good baseline in place but you know by and large that that part was huge 
And I think the other thing that you know, we talked about a year ago was sort of this hiccup in supply and this thought process around, you know, I'm not going to get the product that I thought I was getting for fall because the factories were shut down. Those things, you know, best I can tell, you know, from what we're seeing at this point are still not completely out of the, you know, haven't really completely uh, weighed themselves out. And again, a lot of it has to do with the, the fact that you've got other countries kind of going through different cycles. Uh, and a lot of the manufacturing countries in particular are, you know, having a, a much different, more difficult time, whether it's vaccinations, not being able to go through and other things to, you know, to try to get, get this disease finally put at bay. So we're not completely out of the woods there yet. Uh, you know, I, I, I do think retailers for the most part have, have done a good job of making hay with what they could, make pivoting where they, where they needed to and, and being able to move on. Rob, I think that's a good point. I mean, I think, you know, we talk about supply chain and customer experience, right? I think that's the one thing that we're still seeing people grapple with, I think, right? Because the average consumer doesn't know that there's a container shortage or that the factories are closed down because of vaccines or lack of, you know, labor shortage there. So I think the piece of management of inventory, but somehow also working on the customer experience piece of things and how the retailers are communicating to their average daily consumer that says, hey, our store may look a little a little light these days, but that doesn't mean that we're going out of business, right? Because that's the, the next thing that can hurt is how the media spiral of this whole thing has kind of come to, come to be and how that plays in. So I think there's a, a careful balance that people are having to really attack to this year around what does their inventory look like? How do they pivot in store to make it look, even if they have supply chain challenges, how do they pivot in store to make it not look like they have supply chain challenges right. to not have it spiral out with some kind of customer experience piece? So I think there's a, I mean, we, we've seen people, you know, pivot another way from just their overall strategy. Best Buy is probably a, a great example of that, right? They focus on in-store customer experience. They basically strip their stores down to, almost nothing, right? And they made it more about how do you come in and, and look at things and try it on and then we'll ship it to you or we'll pull it from the back room. But there's less of a, a need for the consumer to actually see things on a shelf to pull from. So that whole piece of, you know, looking bare or being a little bit more stripped down and simplified, they made that their strategy so that they kind of took that out of play. But then you go to places where they have more big box re retailers that are you know, whether you're talking about somebody like a DSW with shoes or, uh, you know, a Home Depot or a Lowe's that stock things to the ceiling because that's their, they want it to be ready at the consumer, consumer's fingertips, they're having a little bit harder time, right? Because if they can't stock it and they've got these big rackings that become empty, then it's kind of like, oh, what's happening? So I think we're seeing a lot of that, how people are starting to kind of just pivot strategies to combat that. Yeah, and it tends to be categories too, right, Amanda? I mean, it just, you know, again, a lot of that has to do with hiccups in that part of the supply chain or that part of manufacturing or that part of, you know, the raw materials piece. I mean, same thing with chips. You know, granted, not really an industry we play in very much, but good Lord, look what's going on in cars. You can't buy a, you can't buy a car. And used car prices are off the charts because, you know, literally computer chips are, are hard to come by and so forth. So there's... It's just things that are that are happening in the entire supply chain with inventory that are just unprecedented, um, and it's going to take a while longer to, I think, to stabilize some of this stuff. Yeah, I think that's a, a great point. You know, if you if we go backward to you know last June, July, early days, 
retailers were canceling everything, pushing back orders, not accepting new inventory. And then all of a sudden you get to the day where, as Rob said, we're not out of it yet. And there's likely, you know, going to be some you know resurgence here and there. But, you know, you've got much heavier demand. I think I saw some the other day that April, May uh, retail sales demand was up 40 to 50 percent over last year. But their inventory is only up like one to two percent. So and, and that's if they can get it. So it's challenges in the supply chain. And it's also their new new inventory management um, processes and policies that are that are affecting you know, what the consumer is seeing. And as Amanda mentioned, you know, some retailers are taking that on uh, strategically and others are, are just uh, you know, going with it. But it's going to be a challenge. I, I agree. As Rob said, it's going to be a challenge for some time to come. Yeah. And it's a lot about managing consumer expectations, too. I mean, we go into stores. All of us do. And you go in and you see, still see lots of holes, significant holes everywhere. I mean, I, I don't know how many stores I was in over the past weekend, but it's it's a little shocking to still see that. And I think just like Best Buy sort of pivoted, a lot of retailers need to figure out how they need to manage those customer expectations, certainly in, across their different categories. That being said, with so much of an emphasis on the digital shopping and then fulfillment to and from everywhere, to manage these customer expectations, what's the role of the store now to effectively handle this inventory? I mean, a lot of consumers are out and excited to be shopping, assuming this will continue and we're not going to go back into lockdown, but what's the role of the store going to be and what should it be to effectively handle the inventory and the customer expectations? First off, they've got to have a tool set in front of them. So kind of to your point, um, Amanda, about uh, Best Buy, you know, being thin on inventory physically, but I can get it to you. And having an associate physically standing in the store that has access to the knowledge of what's available, how quickly it can, it can, it can be made available, uh, that's, that's a differentiator. So, and and the, the beauty of it is if there's at least one other thing in the store where the consumer can touch it, feel it, play with it if they need to, you know, do whatever they need to do to essentially establish, yes, this is the one I want. And there's a relative rapid fulfillment uh, process that can be put in place, whether it's another short store that's going to fulfill it by a pickup or maybe even a a direct direct shift of delivery. Um, All of those things are possibilities. I mean, heck, I I remember back in December, um, you know, my mom was here for Christmas and uh, we ordered her a new iPhone. And Best Buy was we bought it from Best Buy, and I thought I was going to go pick it up. But lo and behold, before I could even leave, the doorbell was ringing, and they had actually delivered it to me at my house, you know, within hours. And it came from the store. So my point being is, the store can play a very active role, whether it's the face-to-face interaction or being able to to, to play those behind-the-scenes roles as fulfillment centers. And that's that's really the the, the beauty of Omni and. There's a lot that has done, uh, done a lot with that over the last couple of years, or last year in particular. That importance of the tool set and, and processes, right? Because the importance of scanning something properly and handling the merchandise is now paramount, right? Because before it was like, all right, I just put that on the floor. I'll get to that in a second. I'll scan it later. Well, now you, the amount of need for real-time or neo-real-time inventory visibility for people shopping online, for those pick up in store, for those that are you know sitting at the curb waiting for the package to be delivered, if 
those processes and that regiment isn't instilled in the store staff and that's not how it's trained, then that's going to, you know, fall down. So timeliness and, and the importance of all of just those rudimentary processes that relate to store operations are really, are key. You know, the consumer's coming at you from every direction, whether it's in store, on our phone, on the fly, right, all that kind of stuff. So first impressions are key. Presentation's everything, right? If, if a box gets shipped and it looks like it's been through several rounds with a bear, it's probably, she's probably less inclined to shop with that, with that retailer again. So there has to be some kind of precedent set forth both from when she steps foot into the store and how that customer service um, and that process is seamless, as well as how things get shipped to the store. That's it's no longer a, an if or or kind of scenario. It's an and, right? And she's going to shop multiple ways, and all of those have to look the same and feel the same from both the brand and experience. And I I um, I agree. Look, stores are going to continue to play a significant role in shopping and fulfillment and in customer experience. And in, in Rob's example, I mean, that's a perfect example of where stores can really excel at surprising and delighting uh, the consumer. Um, and I think that's where retailers have to really go out further to own that consumer relationship because brands are using this as a, a time to also extend into direct consumer relationships. So the retailers, have to really think how they can do that, you know, beyond loyalty programs, beyond marketing emails, et cetera. How else can they connect with consumers? The flip side of that, though, is that retailers also have to be careful. You know, they, don't, they still don't want to have too much inventory in the stores because there's always a chance that things could get shut down and inventory will get stranded there. So they, to Amanda's point on inventory visibility, they have to really manage, you know, how they're fulfilling different channels and how they're placing inventory you know, along their supply chain. It's, 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 it's a balance uh, and it takes a lot of precision and more, more so than it did even you know, two or three years ago. Speaking of that, how have allocation and replenishment changed because of the threat of, of having either too much inventory and, and those, so those decisions are much different now. How has that changed? I'd say it's changed quite a bit, but I think it's going to take a lot of people a while to get there. I would say allocation and replenishment, it, depending on the retailer, has been firmly planted in the merchandising space. I think we are going to see a fairly large shift to that to be very tightly woven in the supply chain space and so that it's seamless, so that it's not just about right product, right time, but it's about optimizing your entire supply chain. So not only is it the right product that needs to go there, but how does it flow through? Is it better for it to come from the distribution center or from a store across town? So it's going to be more tightly woven into the overall P&L and, and cost of doing business instead of it just being about the movement of products from, you know, through the execution. So I think it's going to evolve. I think there's going to have to be some more science and more data-driven pieces to that that, come to play just based on where the demand generates. You know, a lot of people still rely on sales, right? Where did the sales generate? And that's where I'm going to ship the product. I think the data driven aspects of that are going to have to become more important on where the demand actually generated and where inventory needs to go to support that versus it being, we sold it from here. We're going to ship it back to here. 
and that's quite an evolution and maturity for a lot of retailers. Um, that's an investment in technology, both on the science front and the tool set to take it. Because a lot of the older, I'll use that in air quotes, but older allocation solutions either don't have embedded analytics or the ability to take it without a lot of extra work. So there's some fairly large leaps that are going to have to be taken to catch up in that space. But again, the foundational data and the way you get to demand has to be there. So there's process work on and lots of decisions on how the how you want to actually handle that as an organization. And then it's a tool set mind shift and it's an organizational mind shift because that likely is going to impact roles and responsibilities and how people staff their organizations and how things get looked at. So that is not a easy pivot. I think it's definitely got legs, but I think the crawl, walk, run, and how retailers kind of go about that is going to be extremely important um, and making sure that it's well thought out of before they start to jump off that cliff. Yeah, I think that one other thing, too, that sort of hit me when you were you were talking, Amanda, is you know one thing that's interesting, especially when you're talking about a, a consumer that's in a store trying to buy something, the demand that you don't see is a result of an out-of-stock. Right, so that's the other thing is we get thinner and thinner with inventory being in the store. If you can't capture that in some sort of an alternative way, you know, whether it's the associate, no, no, I can get that for you. You know, so you maintain because you don't know what you didn't sell because you couldn't sell it because you didn't have it, you know, type of thing. So there's been all sorts of technologies and some analytics around that that, that have popped up, and I've seen it in, in my experience over the last several years, even going back to my days at Walmart, but that becomes more and more important as it relates to this because that's that that's that tip of the spear in terms of really understanding what the true demand is so that you really understand what you need to have or you should have had an inventory or at least available in some form fashion to be able to still fulfill the consumer's demand. It doesn't have to be in the store at that time, right? And we already brought that up, but we need to be able to capture it so we can then if we've got it somewhere, let's figure out how to fulfill it. I think that's gonna be more and more important. Yeah, well, I think being in the store or not being in the store is definitely a matter of what type of retailer you're, you're speaking about. So if you're talking about grocery or, you know, fast-moving consumer goods, that's a whole different ball game than if apparel or, or technology or something like that. If there's holes in a grocery store and you can't get my, you know, whatever, bounty napkins that I like so much, you know, I, I may very well, because I'm very devoted to that brand, not buy. And so there, there's a lost sale you know, and multiply that by however many SKUs, and that's huge, especially with low, you know, low margins there. Looking forward, we talked about inventory visibility is so key, I think, across all categories and those in-store processes. If if we're assuming that, you know, of course, the in-store experience is very important, not only for the consumer, but the employees got to do those processes very well to enable that visibility. What other business processes need to be tightened up to promote that? I think the first one that comes to mind for me, and we've been talking with our, a few of our clients around this, is you know traditional retailing, from a planning perspective, you're just simply doing an in-season open to buy and you're managing your dollars and your sales and making sure your inventory levels are, are appropriate and then you're kind of handing it over to the allocation team to manage the tool set and how you manage that piece of it. You know, I think going back to earlier what we were talking around on the ground, the how the allocation or punishment and the supply chain are, are now more interconnected than ever, 
I think, you know, you know, we've been talking a lot about just the evolution of what that inventory management means on a monthly or weekly basis and how people communicate. I mean, traditionally, having a supply chain representation at an open to buy was not often, unless there was like something really major happened and the DC was shutting down or, you know, the world stopped spinning for a second. I think having a more, I don't want to call it a manufacturing mindset or a CPG mindset around sales operations planning, I think is that we're going to see that more common than not come to all retailers and how do they manage manage their inventory and their sales forecast more holistically than it being just a, a flash in the pan. So that right there for a traditional merchant and a planning organization is a massive mind shift because now they have to go out and solicit feedback from their logistics teams, supply chain overall, maybe their, you know, their operations teams and get more visibility that way because it is a seamless or they're targeting a seamless process. So you need the inputs from the store teams and you need the input from your supply chain in order to kind of manage that at an up, upward level. So I think we'll see an evolution of that and that is, that's a pretty big shift in itself. Yeah, and I think you can also add to that, Amanda, sourcing. Especially, oh, yeah. especially in our, our soft goods clients, I mean, where you've got sourcing opportunities, you know, whether it's factory shutdown, capacity uh, significantly reduced, and so forth. All of those, all of those things are also part of that. So it goes backs up all the way to that point uh, that needs to be considered because that's going to impact the availability of inventory from the, from the very beginning. Absolutely. You know, I think what's going to be interesting is how organizations evolve right from a people perspective because you know traditional merchant or category manager they're they like to pick the product that's the art right and then you they always handed it off to planning or supply chain and it was like I picked it now go make it happen I think there's going to be you know more of a need for cross-functional education not that they have to be deep in it but to have enough know-how and partnership from cross-functional teams to be able to make different decisions and make them more upfront and understand what the implications are. So, you know, having a merchant that knows enough to say, hey, I need to go talk to my supply chain person before I place this order to make sure that there's, we don't think we have a problem on the supply chain side or being able to route a, route a vessel or get it on an airplane or something like that, that is not necessarily inherent in that skill set. And that may be something that people need to consider as an evolution of just having having a way to train it, having a way to have the conversation, developing the skill set. Um, you know, trying to go out and find that is obviously a little bit more of a unicorn, but there's got to be a way to promote those cross-functional cross collaborative conversations without it being arduous, right? And that's that's more that's a change management, that's a staffing, that's an organizational shift that I don't think I don't think many are thinking about, but it, you know, it's it's coming. Yeah, I agree. That's something that could be significant improvement for a lot of retailers out there. You know, probably most of the clients we've been working with over the last year, we've been talking a lot about breaking down silos and improving accountability and common KPIs and communication up and down the enterprise. And you know, Amanda, what you what you just talked about kind of takes it a step further. Take a step back, look at your teams, look at your roles. Where can you actually get by with with less teams, and and how can you improve, you know, the the overall customer journey through end to end processes, um, whether it's a business process uh, design or inventory flow, 
uh, or what have you, there's there's going to be an opportunity not only to make the customer experience better, but also do it in, in a way that's more more efficient uh, and perhaps you know more cost effective for the retailer as well. But it's going to be a fundamental shift in, in roles and accountability. Yeah, and that goes back to one of the um, latest blog posts that we talked about too, is that software or technology is not necessarily the solution. We've talked about a lot today about roles and responsibilities in the shift and then business process. And there can be significant improvements just focusing on those alone without necessarily a technology, a new technology investment. All right, guys. Well, any last words as, as retailers continue to, you know, I know Australia, of course, is going through, I don't know how, what shutdown this is, but they're in lockdown again. And there's sometimes there's rumblings about, you know, that happening in, in North America too, which is a little scary, but it could happen. And um, so, so any words of advice to retailers as, you know, they contemplate, we're sort of at a new normal. We may not be new normal right now, but, but you know, we've got to be prepared for the next disruption. What would you, what would you say to them? You know, I would say don't lose focus on the fundamentals. I think those are still going to be increasingly important. You have to be able to continue to enhance the ability to pivot and develop your talent. Evaluate your org, like Clay said. I think, you know, understanding what people do and where, you know, you have multiple skill sets that can kind of cover a couple roles and make sure that you know who does what. Because not having your processes streamlined and knowing that you have to touch more than one thing multiple times makes it extremely hard to be agile and hard to pivot. So, I think it's increasingly important to, you know, not necessarily standardize. I mean, that's obviously a piece of it, but streamline, right? Understand where you can, if you need, if you're constantly going right and you have to make a quick left turn, you should be able to do it without a whole lot of heavy lifting or, or at least know who you have to go talk to. I think those are going to be the, the key components I think that I would think about. Yeah, I think from my perspective, it's focus on what you can do versus what you can't. Right, and, and, and what I mean by that is in lockdown, there's gonna be certain things that are allowed, and so therefore, being prepared to be able to do those things. So you can shut a store down to the general public, but that doesn't necessarily mean the access to that store's inventory goes away, because for the most part, I think what we've seen is that's continue to be something that does work. Um, you know, in some countries might be a little bit more uh, restrictive as far as that's concerned, but you know, if, if there's an ability to kind of prove that as, an, as a way to, to focus or, or pivot, as Amanda just said, that's what needs to be um, thought through. So it's almost like having that plan, how am I going to pivot if this happens? I've got multiple options, but we keep the lights on. We just have a different, you know, the, the lights are, are shining in a different direction, so to speak, in the store. Uh, but that's, that, I think that's one of the, the key things is, you know, as we continue to navigate our way through this, we just need to continue to have that flexibility for sure. Yeah, the, the only com other final closing comments I'll make, uh, we've spent enough time uh, in the discussion already around inventory productivity, but three areas that we're spending time with some of our clients today, you know, one is, is demand management and forecasting, uh, getting that demand signal down to a common signal that can be used by multiple functions. It'll allow flexibility in some of the decision-making and the timing of those decisions when done well, and it can certainly impact you know, inventory placement. 
Um, assortment management, we've touched on this. This has been a challenge for, for most of our clients well, forever, but the ability to do it at the appropriate level of detail to help manage the breadth and depth um, you know, both at the uh, the store level, brick and mortar, as well as you know, different channels, is is something that is is a priority for really all of our clients. And then finally, pricing, and this is more important even today, especially in in uh, you know with rapid inflation and constrained inventory, uh, the ability to dynamically optimize prices where possible uh, really can contribute to not just. Uh, sales, but also margin impact as well. So those are three key areas that some of our clients are, are uh, ultra focused on right now. Well, thanks, you guys. Enjoyed talking with you this afternoon. Have a great weekend, and we will talk to you again soon. Awesome. Thank you. That's good. Thank you. So that wraps up today's episode. We hope you found value in the content and in the discussion. If you have any questions and would like to reach out, please feel free to visit our website at parkeravery.com. We also invite you to join our conversation on LinkedIn. Just search for the Parker Avery Group.